This episode is brought to you by Eufy Video Lock. Eufy is a smart lock with 2K cam and doorbell that's a three-in-one triple security, so you can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but it's also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated camera. It's easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver. It's got keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys when your hands are full. It also has a rechargeable battery that could last around four months, and you'll get low battery notifications before it runs out. Passcode unlocking with a remote control with 2K clear sight to see who's at your front door and control from anywhere through the app. And with enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. No monthly fee, unlike other brands that will charge monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. This is the future. This is everything I love about what's happening with doors. In my opinion, this is an absolute no-brainer. I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute no-brainer. We installed them in the house, and it makes, especially when you have a family, it makes life so easy, so secure, so safe, and once again, so easy. Search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Thank you, thank you, gentlemen and guns. Ooh, you're going to love this podcast. This is with a guy that has made me laugh a lot. Now, I grew up in a time when Jamie Kennedy popped hard as fuck when I first got to Hollywood and he was killing it, doing stuff. No one had ever done the Jamie, Jamie Kennedy experience experiment um, was a game changer. It was like a prank show, but it was on such a bigger level and it was so funny. It was so clippable too. Like I remember they'd pull it out and they'd show it to on like, you'd see it at a party. So people would have clips on their DVR. They'd bloop, 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 bloop. And then I've, I, you know, everyone knows that, I won't bring it up too much, but him and Stu Stone came on my podcast and they had one. I, I mean, maybe you shouldn't laugh at what you shouldn't laugh at, but they had one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, they are, they, they had a show called blown up. That was amazing. But Jamie is Malibu's most wanted made me laugh in Albuquerque, New Mexico in a hotel room hungover to, to the point where I sat up in bed, made a coffee and watched it. It was that funny. Things catch you at the right time. He is a phenomenal actor, and that's what we talk about a lot. We talk a lot about acting. I was very curious about the business of making a movie, of getting a movie sold, of doing a movie, of of what it was like acting in a movie, the chances you can take or what you shouldn't take as an actor. Um, and he's got a new movie. It's called Last Call. Jeremy Piven's on it. Jeremy's on the podcast talking a little bit about that. But we talk primarily about this movie, the fun, like the, the, the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts about making a movie and starring in a movie and the choices you make. By the way, I didn't even recognize him in this. I thought it was Bradley Cooper. Like he has long hair and he's jacked, but he's a great guy and, and, and a real innovator. I, I, he, he really genuinely is. And I felt very blessed to be able to sit and talk to him about uh, the movie making process and, and everything that went into it. And I'm, yeah, I had a great talk. I had a great talk with him and I think you're gonna like it. Ladies and gentlemen, comedian, actor, producer got fucking Jamie Kennedy This is Memory 
What's up, Bert? How you doing, buddy? It's been a minute, man. I'm good. New, new movie coming out? Yes, sir. It's Friday. Holy shit, man. Congrats. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it, man. That's really awesome. So so did you shoot this movie during during COVID or was it before COVID? Uh, right before. We did yeah. it. We wrapped around December of 2019 and then. Oh, you know. right at the buzzer. I know, right at the buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So tell, tell me about the movie, man. I'm really fascinated. I've never really cared much about the actual movie side of this business until recently, like where I, where I started going like, and you've been such a fucking OG in the game to like all, all aspects of it, all aspects of it. Um, so I'm, I'm super curious. Like, tell me, tell me like, if you can tell me nuts and bolts of how this movie got made. Cause that's one of the things that I don't think enough people know is like, Someone takes an idea, they take it to like a studio. What the fuck's a studio? Um, how how did the idea get to you? When you got attached, did that make that easier for other people to get attached? Did did you getting attached all of a sudden raise the but like I'm curious about all of that if you don't mind. And oh, without sure. spilling too much. No, of course, man. Thank you, brother. Um, it's interesting though, before I start, you were never into the movies aspect of this business. But yet, you know, obviously you have a whole movie about your life. It's yeah. fascinating that you yeah. that you never thought like you never were into the movie part. I, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I think that it just seemed so unattainable that it, I, that I remember getting out here doing it. My first development deal. And I asked this guy, David, talked to him and I said, hey, why do you do television and not movies? And he goes, no one ever makes a movie. And I was like, what? And he's like, television, you actually make television. He's like, you can come up with an idea and make it. He's like, movies take forever. None of them ever get made. No, you never see any of them. And he was like, I don't know. And I, it was so funny because I thought immediately, I thought I'll be into movies is where I'll go. And that one conversation shifted all my perspective. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just make television. And then, and then, and then I started lowering my expectations of television that I could make where I'd be like, well, fuck network sitcoms because, because I'm, those are hard. I'll just get into like pilots for cable. I'll do cable pilots. And then, and then it started lowering, lowering, lowering. And, and then, and then all of a sudden I was like, and then I'm like 40 and I'm like, well, fuck all that. I'm just going to do podcasts and stand up because the money. And then it got to a point, I mean, not to tell too much, but I remember Tom did a movie uh, with Mark Wahlberg and Tom Segura. And he was like, yeah, I'm in Atlanta for like a month doing this movie. And I was like, shit, man, you're missing a lot of road dates. He's like, yeah. I said, this movie must pay nice. And he was like, nah. And I was like, what does it pay? And he told me. And I was like, Tom, you make that in you make more than that in one show. And he was like, I know, man, movies aren't like like it's not where the money is in this business. It is if you do successful, which you have done. But like so I'm, so that's why I'm curious is I'm now interested uh, in in the more the movie aspect side of it. Sure. OK, that's awesome. Um well, basically, it's like this. It's like for this particular movie, um, it was, it's just like a, how can I say it? It's a, this is a homegrown project. So a guy in my, where I grew up in Philly, a guy in my neighborhood, he, he wrote a script about kind of my neighborhood. And so... It's like a little town called Upper Darby's right outside of Philadelphia. And he wrote, like, he became a very successful guy. He was the, he was, uh, 
young athlete in our neighborhood. He was a couple of years younger than me. And when like he was a freshman and everybody were seniors, he was the star quarterback, the starting guard, the star pitcher on the high school team. Became very successful, went to Cornell, and he became the starting quarterback for Cornell football. He then became a successful real estate uh, developer, made a lot of money, and he kind of left the neighborhood, but he didn't leave it that far. And then he came back, and he loved where we're from. So he wrote the script over the last like five years, and then he gave it uh, to my friend who I grew up with, who's also in this business, who's a, a very big stunt guy. And then he gave the script to me. He's like, yo, do you think you would want to play one of these parts? And then I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. And then he made the offer, which is pretty good money. And then, boom, the ball started rolling. So this is in a unique situation because the movie was made like completely independently. But how a studio does it and how you know it's like casting and who's this and who gets approved. And this one, it was like I kind of got involved. And then I, I don't know who he got next, but then I believe he got Taron Manning. And then, like, I think that attracted Jeremy. And then we were able to get Bruce Dern uh, and then Zach wow. McGowan, who's a great actor. He came on and then Kathy Moriarty and then Jason James Richter, who's a great actor. So it, it kind of just snowballed from people knowing each other. Wow. So so when you when you take a movie like this, how different was it, say, from and I, I don't know if this is the right movie to use as an example, but I assume it is like Malibu's Most Wanted, which which it from from the outside looking in seemed like a straight up student like you went in you were like i'm ready to do a movie and they're like what do you I, for me it always sounded like what do you want to do and you're like i got this script that's what it seemed like to me was that a similar how is that an ins a fair insight on how a movie like malibu's most wanted was made yeah malibu's a crazy experience too because like, so I, I'm trying to give you the cliff notes. So it's like, <laughs> tell me everything. By the way, that movie, that movie makes me laugh so fucking hard. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Bert. No, but I, I, well, no, because you and I, you know, we can have a marathon combo. So I'm trying to give it because we love details. It's, uh, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so how did it work? So I was doing stand up, you know, I was, you know, acting and stuff and doing stand up and, I had done this character. I'd had this character. Boom. I did my stand up. And uh, Nick Swartzen, I was playing a Tempe and he was hosting. And another guy was headlining. And he's like, Yo, I, I know you, you like that character a lot. And I talked about it. And throughout the weekend, um, I was like, Yeah, eventually I want to make this character into a movie. And he's like, Oh, that's a good idea. So, like, at the end of the weekend, Nick's like, Yo, let's hang out, whatever. Give me your number. That's when we met in the late 90s. And so I just started doing well. I bought a house and um, I had a little guest house. And Nick would come over a lot. We'd play video games. We'd hang out. And he was like, yo, I have some ideas for your, your movie. Boom. He gives me five pages and it's fucking gold. And so I'm like, dude, you have to keep fucking writing. He's like, all right, I'll write like when I feel. You know, Nick. Yeah. He's like, oh, I feel it. <laughs> 
So every every couple of days he'd come over and have five or ten new pages. I was like, so anyway, we started working the script like that. And we ended up getting a rough draft of like he knew the character, boom. So and then he wrote within a you know month and a half, we had a script, which was crazy to have, right? And it was really good. Cut to us trying to make it for two years independently. Just producers, Colin's had the money, didn't have the money, blah, 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 blah. Falls apart. I ended up getting my show, the Jamie Kennedy experiment. B-Rad's on that. And then it gets popping again. So Warner Brothers, the producer was very savvy. And he's like, Warner Brothers movies. You know, I've done a couple parts of movies. I was never the star of a movie. But I was like, you know, co-lead. And he's like, let's take a, a project in. I, the timing is right. Yeah. So a lo- everything of this is like not typical, but nothing's really typical in our business, right? Yeah. So then I go, he's like, well, what do you want to make? I'm like, well, I got this movie with Nick because Nick has been on the show and it's like about a rapper and he's from Malibu. And he's like, he's like, B-Rad. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, what's this premise? And I'm like, I don't know. He's just, he's just, just like, his parents don't want him to act like that anymore. We go to Warner Brothers. We sit in with the president after two meetings. Then we sat with the president at our third meeting. And he's like, "You, this is the movie you want to make. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, you don't have the third act. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then our producer's like, dude, he's got the number one news show in the WB. And he's like, Great, but you're asking me to green light a movie in eight weeks that doesn't have a third act. <laughs> and the producer's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And so he's like, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. And it was just, dude, it was just craziness because we, they, they said, if you rewrite the script and you do this and you do that and you can get X amount of actors involved, we'll green light it. So within two weeks, we gave him another draft. We Our first big hire was Tay Diggs. Oh, yeah, Tay Diggs is fucking awesome. Yeah, and then the rest was history. But that's a super, super unique situation because the studio owned the TV show, and the TV show was making noise. And then it was like the producer, Mike Cars, he's, he's brilliant. He knew that was like the window. So he went in, and I was like, hot. So that, that's one way to do it. Other ways are independent, and then you you pick it up. Other ways are development hell. I mean, there's a yeah. million ways to do it. It's like I, I, I see so many movies that are about to go. I had another movie in 1999 uh, with the killer cast. It was me. It was Scott Kahn. It was Paul Walker. It was Jessica Alba. It was Amy Smart. It, I, it was even more people. And it was a, at a movie. It was called, it, I believe it was at the same company where Van Wilder was. I think it was October Films. And we were five weeks out from shooting and then we lost the funding. Really? Yeah, we lost it because it was like, I don't know. It was like, it was like a tax credit in Canada. Wow. So, I mean, it's very hard to get a movie. I mean, David talked to me is, is very correct. But TVs are too. TV, I think, is 95%. I've been told this, you know, by Brad Gray, God rest his soul, you know, Bruce and Gray, he, I had a deal with him in the late 90s. And he's like, do you understand that TV is 95% failure because of all the steps? Yeah. 
it's like develop. It's like Bert has an idea, then they develop the script, demo tape, pilot. Then we if, do they reach you? And it's like then one, then three episodes and six episodes. It's crazy. So do you did you feel like so so you do uh you do Malibu's Most Wanted right and then you yep. go on to do another movie and I I I mean I don't remember I I don't know box office numbers but for me Malibu Most Wanted was a fucking success just because it's funny as fuck right so then you go to do another movie and and I'm I'm certain at that point you start getting plugged into shit where they're like let yo Jamie here's like I don't even know what money is in movies but like here's five million dollars. We want you to star in three movies or whatever. And then I'm certain that people see you as something that you aren't. And you go, hold on. Are, was there a time where you felt like your, your comedic instincts were getting kind of stepped on by, by notes and by executives? Oh, totally. It's exactly that. Because how, how, uh, let me try to give you this. How it's like, it's like when I, I remember doing comedy for four years straight, like open mics and like getting like a guest spot slowly on Monday nights at the improv or a please allow at the comedy store. I was starting to get those like five minute slots. Yeah. And then I, long story short, I started getting acting work and I started like getting parts in movies where I was like the funny guy in movies. And then when I, but I knew I had this other side. So when I started doing TV, I was like, well, I'm going to show my side of the funny that I know. And because you and I both know that being funny in a movie and TV, it's good, but it's not being like funny in a comedy club. Like if you can make a crowd laugh, especially in a club where it's like tons of comedians, not just your weekend gig where it's just you and two other people, then it's a different type of funny. So when I started making my own movies, I started making stuff that, you know, I believe that was like my voice and Malibu's, uh, it made it was like made for 15. It made about 33 at the box office, but then it did DVD and stuff. So it made about, I think it made about 76 million in all the revenue. Um, I think it's still in the books for losing 20 million. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I have, I have a nice back end. I'm still waiting. My back end could get me a, a house in Malibu, like not a huge one, but a nice one. I, I I'm still in the red somehow, <laughs> but, but like you said, it's, it's, you know, it worked the community. loved it. People loved it. So I was able to get more stuff, but as I did it, I sold two other projects to Warner brothers and they were kind of in development and I never got them going. And yeah, then I started getting other, when I started getting another movie or two, but it was a minute where I could kind of say anything and get away with it. But yeah, the notes start coming in. You have to make like a hundred mil to basically your movies have to make like a hundred mil for you not to get notes, I think, or like 85. God, how, but how it's hard. cool. I, yeah, I had executives that were pretty cool. They were, I had this Greg Silverman, he's an amazing guy. He usually helped me a lot. And, um, he, he was all, uh, uh, dude, we had a testing, and I was like, you got, we were cutting the film. And I was like, you got to keep this joking. And I forget what joke it was. And he's like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And I was like, dude, I know it works. I've done it in the club. And he's like, I don't know if I like it. And, she, and he's like, all right, we'll test it. And um, we tested it and it killed. And he's like, all right, man. 
you can keep it in. He's like, I'm glad you fought for that. So he was a really, he's a reasonable guy. And that's hard to find. Now, what, what is it like? I, I wouldn't say I'm difficult to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Wait>. like, <laughs> if, if, if you put me, if you put me on the set of like a, uh, reality driven host driven reality show uh i can be a little bit i can be a little bit bothersome because i because i've done so much of it that uh, a lot of times you're getting young it's not that's not the place where people stay in this business is directing uh host driven reality shows that but talent does but directors cameramen that's always like their first gig then they grow into something else so you're dealing with these young kids who a lot of times the network or the this the production company will give them a literally eight pages a shot list of i need this shot i need this shot and so there's no creativity in it there's no like it's like bird i need you to ta i need you to take a bite of that hot dog all right and i want to get some <laughs> listening shots and it's like shit where i go i'm not doing any of that <laughs> and so so uh i get I, that like when you do camera when you do the publicity shots and like give us yeah. one when you're like you know <laughs> wacky it's like please stop it's that right I, i'm so i like i i don't have that uh i'm not very patient i should say but like i know for a fact that i was given an opportunity with no director <laughs> whatsoever to do a show and it was absolutely not what the network wanted <laughs> and i thought it was so funny but the network was like i mean they they buried it they were like this it was dirty it wasn't right for the brand it was just it was so not good for them but do you find like so when when you do a sh this new movie last call when you do this do you f are you careful not to get in your own way to go like listen I, i've seen bad habits that i have had or, or or i've seen times where i didn't listen or maybe i should have listened or i listened too much now that i'm doing this and and this is a you know grassroots project that we're making um, do you find yourself being treating it differently than you would say, uh, like just a, like a, a, a day thing on scream or, or like a three day, th you know, like a small, does that make sense? Yeah. Like this one was so homegrown and I knew a lot of the people involved and, um, like I'd worked with Taryn a long a while ago and, um, and I worked with Jeremy and, and I knew a lot of the players. So on this one, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there is that stuff when you're making a lower budget or a newer budget, like that, you know, the producers, you know, a couple of them were my friends. So they trusted me because I had more experience. So, and the director, we really, you know, we, we could really try stuff. And he was like, all right. And I'm like, he would be like, let's, instead of doing three shots, we could do it all and get it all in this one shot, you know? So, this was a really chill set. Everybody was great. We had Bruce Dern for two days, absolute Mount Rushmore legend. And we wanted to make sure like we got him, shot him out. So this was chill. Um, but like in terms of what you're saying, of like, it's crazy. Cause if you have your own ideas, like you're saying, and like you were saying like, Oh, there's certain stuff you don't want to do. It's <laughs> you just know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, it, I, that's why I love doing this. I think this is why we all love our own being in charge of our own little world. Um, but yeah, I listen, I always, I always think a good actor should, you know, be seen and not heard. You know, you kind of show up, you do your thing and you kind of sit there and wait to be activated again. 
And then as you get older, you start, you know, learning stuff, you know, you, you're, it's not that your patient gets, you just know what you're doing. So you have to kind of be aware, but so that's how you got to kind of work with people at the kind of a similar experience level with you. And I know when you do work with people that are different, it's like, okay, you already see what's going to happen and how you can shoot something in five shots. You can shoot it in one shot. So I think that at the end of the day, it's like, you kind of, I've listened, I have, I've also had times where I've done stuff and it hasn't worked for me and, you know, I get humbled. So then I'm like, you know, I become the humble guy, but at yeah. the end of the day, I don't know. I think, I think what we do is like the sandbox, man. We should be able to do what we want. It's creative. And I've seen so many fights, dude, so many people, you know, I'm not going to air it out. Like I've seen amazing stuff and you never hear about it. Because that's what it's a creative world, but yeah. now everybody snitches. You know what I mean? That's a, it's it, snitching is like crazy to me. And I don't mean at. that. And I don't mean like they like hide bad habits. I mean you're gonna fight creatively. People are gonna fight. Big stars are gonna fight. Big directors or whatever, and it's okay. But now it's like that's worth more than the project sometimes in terms of like the gossip. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid IV. I love hydration. I love sweating more than anything. In order to sweat, you need to be hydrated. That's why I love Liquid IV. Before a workout, it's super easy. Uh, you just literally pour it into your water, and they've got lemon lime, acacia berry, passion fruit, guava, watermelon, apple pie, strawberry, and it gives you the five essential vitamins you need. More vitamin C than the average orange, potassium more than a banana, and they're healthier than those sugary sports drinks. No artificial flavorings, no preservatives, less sugar than an apple, made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. It's the perfect balance if you're trying to hydrate quickly and feel more effective than just water alone. Get your liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco or 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com. And use the code BIRD at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you get better hydration today using the promo code BIRD at liquidiv.com. Think about everything you learned about getting healthy. There's a lot of contradictory information out there and things that are a little old-fashioned, like the food pyramid. They're not, they don't help much at all. Here's the deal. I'm in a weird category right now. I am in Serbia. I am getting in shape to do a movie because I'm doing certain things in the movie that I need to be healthy and strong for, but I can't, I'm not supposed to lose any weight. So for me, it's a lot of just kind of learning new ways to eat. That's why I'm using Noom. Noom was like, I mean, literally, I feel better. I'm enjoying exercises. I'm fitting in my clothes better. My waist smaller. My chest is smaller, but stronger. My shoulders and arms gain an inch, but my belly is still the same. I am the worst example of a guy that should talk about this product. However, I'm telling you right now, I feel good about what I'm, uh, I'm eating and I feel my self-worth feels amazing. I love working out and it's all about knowing what's going into my body and, and, and kind of doing it with ease. It's 10 minutes a day and that's all you got to do. Log your food. It's nice to see your chart and your progress. Here's the deal. There's a lot of science to getting healthier. And the science is called Noom. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash birdcast. That's N-O-O-M.com 
slash BirdCast. Learn how to eat again, like I have with Noom. Sign up for your trial. By the way, I don't log my white wines. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com slash BirdCast. Get ready to learn how to live healthier. Sign up for Noom today, N-O-O-M.com slash BirdCast. I try not to take too many stances because all my stances always flip-flop to the other direction one day. And then I'm like, oh, I can't believe I actually said that. But like the one that was leaked was Tom Cruise berating someone over not wearing a mask on set. And I was mm-hmm. like, and I was, I, I felt like, why the fuck would you do that to Tom Cruise? Like he's trying to make sure that this project gets made, that everyone can work and he loses his shit. Like, cause you're not wearing a mask. Like let it, and but then immediately people that hate Scientology start going, fuck Tom Cruise. He is an abuser. And then you're like, oh God, I don't want to even get in the middle of this. Wait, so I thought that what he did was, it was uh, good. It was responsible. This is what I, I heard. No, no, no. Oh, oh, the other side, the other side said it was, you do not treat people like that on set. And I was like, no, you actually can. You actually, like, as I'll tell you, as as a person, uh, I would much rather, and, and I've had this happen, I would much rather be berated and belittled and humbled by my boss than fired any day of the week. Being fired sucks so bad. If I fuck up and I do something wrong, please light me up. Please light me up. And if you feel like doing it publicly is going to stop it from happening again, you have all the right to. <laughs> dude, this is what I heard of that story. And I, I agree with you. Like, dude, Tom Cruise like was like the first production out of the gate. So he was like, the, they were like the, the leader of it, right? To see yeah. what a COVID production would be. So super high, highly expensive project. I heard he risked some of his own money. Mm-hmm. And they had like a crew, I don't know, hundreds of people that wanted to work. So like one uncovid protocol thing shuts it all down. So that means nobody eats. And then Hollywood looks to it as like this leader and is going, yo, if this doesn't work, what's going to work? So I think there was a lot of pressure there. And he was really saying, he was just saying fucking follow protocol. And he did yeah. it publicly. I don't understand how that was bad. He didn't like say, hey, John. You're a bad person. He was like, just fucking do it. No one even got fired. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, I no would one got fired. Yeah, but the See, definitely the, the person that, that recorded it, the person that recorded it, was like, time to put Tom Cruise on blast, dude. And you know what? I bet that person recorded it doesn't work on sets. I bet that person's never been in a hundred and fifty million dollar movie with stunts that are death defying with a, a fucking major super legacy star. I mean, come on, man. The pressure is fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I uh, uh, it's funny because we're in a world where it's like, I wouldn't say hindsight, but, but the Monday morning quarterback of the way we behaved and you, you were front row to it because that was your scene was like the Paris Hilton scene and people were lighting her up left and right. I said this to someone the other day, for whatever fucking reason, when I came out to Hollywood, I, I was I was um fascinated by Paris and Nikki Hilton. I like it I, I'd never seen something like that. You know, going to school in Tallahassee and, and growing up in Tampa, the idea that there were socialites, that was like I thought it was cool. I and it, it wasn't a popular opinion at the time, so I didn't really share it, but I thought it was really neat. And I thought like I don't know. I just thought it was neat. So I never really like trashed her. And and I thought when she went to prison and had that and had a meltdown, I actually was like, I'd been locked in a cell on accident 
uh, when I was a kid and they couldn't open it. And I had a fucking meltdown as a kid. It was like on a field trip. I had a fucking meltdown, like a panic attack. So I empathized with her. I empathize with a lot of all that shit. Britney Spears. I went and saw Britney live with my sisters in like what? Probably 99, maybe 90. Yeah. 99, 98, 2000. It was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my entire life. I've been a Britney Spears fan forever, but it's funny is people lit those women up aggressively. And now there's a comeuppance about it where everyone's like, how dare David Letterman? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I think you forget because, and I say this as an outsider, everyone was destroying these. Everyone was greenlighting these jokes. No, it wasn't just David Letterman, Sarah Silverman. The world was attacking Paris Hilton. And you were there, you were literally front row watching it all happen. It must have been odd to see that kind of happening in like your friends. Now, I know you guys weren't like best friends or anything, but in, in a friend circle of like, Holy shit, man. She's a person. I actually know her. Yeah, I think that um, I think Paris was very, very misunderstood by the press. I think Lindsay was, too. Um, and Brittany, obviously, definitely was. Um, it's like. Dude, it, it, you, you said it perfectly. It's like. Like you said, it wasn't just comedians, you know, making jokes or network TV hosts making jokes. It was uh, people green lighting them and um, magazines writing about it. And this was the birth of, you know, TMZ, which I'm cool with TMZ, but you know, they weren't exactly uh, polite when they're following you <laughs> and asking you stuff in a bush. And then there was X 17 online and radar. And I mean, Hollywood, I think uncensored, just like a, it went from like, yo, you, uh, your agent has an interview for you. You're going to go to Kiss FM and you're going to do Ryan Seacrest for an hour. And it's just going to be you and him in the studio. And then after that, you're going to go to Burbank and you're going to go and do Jay Leno's show to promote your movie. Um, and you'll do some newspaper phoners in the day. Okay, cool. And then you're done. You do that for three weeks and you're done. It went from that to you're leaving Ryan Seacrest. There was never even any cameras dude when you're in the it was just audio right from you going and you're at earth cafe and you're leaving the guy's like yo uh so let me tell you let me ask you a question we saw you last night and you were coming out of uh katsuya it's like that whole phenomenon was the early aughts of like video cameras and questions that you were like yo how'd you know that about you know my mother's you know like underwear drawer what what'd you it's like so it was it was kind of like shocking. Um, and obviously if you're, you know, pretty young ingenue and, you know, you know, actress, socialite, whatever it's sold their, their lives sold. And, um, yeah, man, it was, it, they, they went hard on them and, and it wasn't, it, it, you have to look at our, that's a, such a, such a big fish to fry, but the culture was consuming it. And, uh, and and it's and it is. These people are people. Paris is a sweet person. Lindsay's a sweet person. Lindsay got the Lindsay got the biggest end of that shit stick out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, like, dude, it's such a it's such a many feathered bird in a sense. Like, I feel terrible when I see that Letterman interview. That was terrible. But you know, Letterman's also a great comedian. He he went too far, you know. But what about the producers? Like you said. 
that okay to jokes. And then what about the audience that laughed? But, you know, it's like, but it is, it was too much, you know, but um, does that mean that Letterman should be canceled? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not, no, but th yeah. does Lindsay Owen need an apology? Yeah. But I mean, it's all, it's, it's so many, it's so much, but yeah, it's, it's intense, man. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's interesting because I, you know, dude, what do you think is going to happen? Like, like when you, we have jokes have gone too far and it's like, okay, I'm, <laughs> don't, don't get me like, started. If we, well, no, I know. But if we go, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm looking at back and stuff. It's just like, especially we're just going to have to say, sorry, I ever did a joke. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, because what we're saying is what you're saying is right. Like it, it that's too far. Like roasting people to roast them is not right. But it was, what, so, like, it was so hot at the time. Like I know. So hot. But I what about TMZ? TMZ do roast people every week. Oh, destroys people. I, I remember watching. I wouldn't. I remember watching the first roast joke I ever saw, and this is like, I, and this I'm just being very real about my reaction was uh, Jeff Ross, and I, I only say Jeff because he was the best at roasting, and, and but it, it was like the first roast, and I I don't mean to like call him out. Because and if this joke's wrong and Jeff wants to say that he never said this, he can whatever. I I, I just but it was Jeff Ross, and he said uh, he said uh, Abe Vigoda's here. It was <laughs> I didn't even know who Abe Vigoda was. Like I was just like Abe Vigoda, and he goes uh, Abe Vigoda sold. I wouldn't fuck him with B Arthur's dick or something like that. And then the camera cut to B Arthur who was not laughing. And I, and it was so funny because B Arthur was like, what the fuck did he just say? But it was such an aggressive joke. Like that something I, I forget. I forget what the joke was. So I, I wouldn't fuck her with B Arthur's dick. And it just cut to B Arthur. And she was like, huh? And, and you know, that was like the, that was the, the sense of humor at the time was like, Oh shit. That's all oh, you're, you got away with it, you know? And, and you look back at like, I look back at jokes I've told. I mean, I, someone wanted to buy my comfortably dumb, uh, my first special. And they were like, someone offered to buy it and then stream it. And I was like, uh, I'm going to pass. <laughs> really? I think I'm going to let that one sit. I was like, I, I, I don't need, I don't need the, the, the optics on that album. I didn't have, I didn't write that thinking people would listen to it uh, fucking 15 years from now. <laughs> Dissecting it. Dissecting oh. it. <laughs> Wait, what are you? I know I have jokes too that I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh boy, if they're dissected, you know, I mean, like, but they could do that with anything, right? Obviously, you know this. Yeah, one they, of they go through pioneers. Well, here's what I, I was actually just on a, a jog this morning. I was listening to Bruce Bruce talk to the 85, 85 South guys. If you ever get a chance to do 85 South and you're in Atlanta, one of my favorite podcasts. It's so fucking fun and it's so right up your alley. It so is. I love um, it. And so they uh they were talking to Bruce Bruce about the same question about like what do you think about he goes, There's jokes I don't I don't make anymore that I made in the past. He's like, like I don't talk about homosexuals really. And he's like, you know, I make a few and but I was listening to him talk about it and I thought, here's the difference is that I think we all know this. On stage, like if you're on stage crowds will pretty much go along with you like like when you're doing it on stage and and people i i, I haven't run into people not letting you take take your shot and and 
and I still say pretty aggressive. I still to this day say pretty aggressive things on stage. Um, sometimes, sometimes the, the fucking joke is to say the most inappropriate things. The, the, the thing that you don't call shock. Yeah. The thing that's the funniest joke is when the thing that you don't expect to hear is said that makes it, that makes you laugh. And, and, and here's the risk we run is that sometimes, and I think it's because I don't, I'm debating this, but I think because we're out, I know I am talking so much that in an interview, people can go, he was being serious. And like on a podcast, they go, oh, Bert was being serious. And and I know they've done that to Bill. I've seen them do that to Bill, uh, Burr. And, and, go, and I've seen Bill say, I don't even want to say anything about it because they're going to take what I say and misconstrue it. And it's not going to be what I said. But here's what I think. And they did exactly fucking that because that that line gets a million clicks and that's how they make money. And so you just I, I was like, I still I think the thing is we can still say what we want to say on stage, on specials, in movies. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to stop writing racist characters in movies from the 50s because they don't want to get canceled because that guy's going to be a white guy saying the n-word but i think what's happening is it's just in these podcasts you know the the industry doesn't have a finger in this so when you look at the they, the reason they've been going after joe so hard is that joe for the longest time had no one to answer to and they couldn't get their their claws in him they'd have a movie and they'd hey, say, hey, Joe, and he wouldn't take their call. And they'd be like, well, we're trying to promote this movie. You're the biggest thing out there. And that makes people feel helpless, I think, at times. And I and and it makes people want to destroy the thing that's succeeding without them. And I think the easiest way to do it is go look at it and go, fuck these podcasts. It's not traditional radio. That's where we make our money. If we can go through and cancel them for doing this thing they do and make money around, like, around the way, then then let's do that. I think that's what's going on. But you think that they, since they can't get their hand in the sandbox or they can't get their hand in the cookie jar, they want to fucking break the jar. I think, I think that, yeah, I think you look at like clear channel, iHeartMedia, all those places, you know, if I, the business model is so fucking broken. I mean, I, what, what I make in one read a DJ makes. So like, if I make, Let's see, hypothetically speaking, say I make $10,000 for a read, you know, which I don't, but I'm saying, what if I made $10,000? I get all that $10,000 in iHeartMedia, that $10,000 goes to the company. And then the, the DJ makes $50 for doing that read. And so that business model is flipped upside down. And the reason is, is that all those guys in all those fucking corner offices want to make sure they keep their money. So then when Universal's like, hey, man, we got a project. They're like, don't worry, we got you. We're a bunch of corner offices that want to make sure we keep our corner offices. And then when you uh -huh. look at Rogan, he's like, oh, I don't have a corner office. I have a compound with an archery setup and a, and a jujitsu mat and weights and a sauna. And I'm smoking weed with Elon Musk talking about artificial intelligence. They're like, hold on. That's not the business model we set up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. That's my speculation. I, I, but also, I think there's a lot of kids, you know, the younger generation. Is, it's just what happens all the time is like the younger generation looks at the older generation and they're like, it's our turn. Fuck these old people. And they're like, what did you call? 
What what pronoun did you use? Oh fuck! Well, let's get rid of this guy. Yeah, and I think with it's the disruption too of what you're saying in terms of media with this happening so good. There's no no middleman. That's what I love about this, and that's what I loved about this movie. It was pretty much making the movie the way you want to make it, you know, within the confines of the SAG rules. But everything else was like how we're going to do it. It was all hands on and. I, there's a lot of, like you said, log jam in, in our business. A lot of people just taken from different pots that like, what do you do? So it's much more leaner and meaner this way, but it's well, more effective. I think what's interesting for you, and I, I'll say this for you, is you're, you've such a wealth of experience and such a resume, for lack of a better word, but really just like a catalog of shit you've done that has, has made people laugh. So much of it that I would argue to say that in your formative years those notes, those people above you, those, all those notes were needed and you paid attention and you listened and you learned. And now, and that's why I'm excited for this movie. Cause now when you get to this place with the cast that you've got, that's all those people that have basically been through a master's class of, of making movies. So when you set them off to do it on their own, that's when I think you get a smash hit is when you go, Hey man, we're just going to do our own thing. And that, and it's, it really is like you say, it's akin to podcasting is that, you know, we Tom Segura and I got approached a number of times to do, TV shows together under the once under the man show moniker um, once under the, like under these monikers, but we had already passed that part where, where their notes would have helped us. It would have hindered us. And then we do mm -hmm. two bears, one cave. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, why would we ever do television with this form? We could just do it this way. You know, it's just more organic. And I think that's what's, you know, like I said, that's, what's going to be cool about your movie is, is you guys got you got some fucking bangers in it this episode of the podcast is brought to you by blue chew say it with us blue chew blue chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost, Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections, all to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no doctor visits, no doctor offices, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line in a pharmacy. <laughs> oh, my God. It ships directly to your door in a discreet package. process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. Bluetooth's licensed med medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and the right strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? Perfect. <laughs> no swallowing here. No problems. You got I me, mean, you got to chew it and then you swallow it. But Bluetooth's Sildelafil and Toddelafil tablets are chewable. Bluetooth's tablets are made in the USA. They prepared and shipped direct, so cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. Try bluechew for free when you use the promo code BERT at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code BERT to receive your first month for free. We'd like to thank bluechew for sponsoring this podcast. When it comes to paying off debt, it can feel like an uphill battle. You do not have to say that to me. My wife, Leanne Kreischer, was so much in debt when we got married, I felt like we would never get out of that debt. I mean, I just felt like, oh, you'd wake up thinking about it. High interest rates resulting in a minimum monthly payment that keeps in an endless cycle of debt. Upstart can help you get ahead. 
Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debts, or funding personal expenses, over a half a million people have used Upstart to get simple, fixed monthly payments. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means that they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. Holy God, for real? You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loans. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payment today when you go to upstart.com slash BERT. That's upstart.com slash BERT. Don't forget to use our URL code to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will determine loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash BERT. Yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, yeah, like you said, it's like, dude, I mean, Bruce Dern, bro. Dude. We got to do we were improving with him. Like he he's a, an amazing improver. We're all just sitting around in a bar just because we're like talking about all these different like uh, there's a scene in the movie. I really don't say it, but it's like a sex acts. And so we were like improvising and I was like, well, rusty trombone. And he's like a trombone. Well, why the hell is it rusty? Like he actually I don't think ever heard of that. And he was like, what the fuck? And he was going with it. And it's like. Just like you said, like the director trusted us. And I think that's the projects that I like, and I'm sure that you like, it's usually you hire people for what they're good at and you let them go. Like, that's why I always heard like good directors hire good actors, good DPs, good cinematographers. You know, you got to let people, you got to empower them. Yeah. And the note, notes are hard, man. I mean, they, they, they are effective sometimes, but I'll never forget. I worked on this movie and, and, I did a joke 25 times in a club and I watched a kill and I got it in a movie and the executive is like, nah, it's not funny. And I'm like, it has beta testing behind it. <laughs> it worked in Dayton, you know, and they all it's, it, that's what's hard because they're operating in their own little bubble and we're not, we're in, we're in, we're, we're out there. Oh yeah. I, i I wholeheartedly agree. And I, and I wonder, so just out of curiosity, when you do, when you do like a, a scene, say with Bruce Dern, where you're improving, and but you have a script, do you? How does that work as an actor? Like, do you? And I, I've, I've acted and stuff, but I'm a very timid actor in that. I usually say what they wrote on the page, I, and then I feel like like guys like you and Mike Epps are guys that are so hmm. much a wealth of already. Like, I, those are my two examples: are you and Mike I Epps? Love it. I love is that, Mike is that you guys are both comics, but you're also really great actors. And and oh, it's I'm telling you, man, it's really hard to straddle that line of being, I, I actually was thinking of this the other day. I was like, uh, Pete Davidson did it. He's a great actor, like great actor. Um, Amy Schumer did it. She's a great actor. Mike Birbiglia. He's a great actor and great comic. I mean, great comic and great actor. I was doing the list and I was like, even some of the greats and, and I won't say names, some of the greatest comics in the world, you see them in a movie and you're like, are, are you just doing your act? Like it, like, I'm not going to shit on anyone, but some comics, I remember their first movie out. You're like, you don't feel like very comfortable in front of that camera, <laughs> but like you guys are, are Mike Epps. The first time I ever saw him, he was in that movie, uh, where he won a million dollars on a scratch off ticket or something. I forget the name of the movie. 
but uh, it was with Ice Cube. All about the Benjamins. Yeah, yeah. And man, he looked so comfortable on screen. So it was like he belonged on screen. And and I wonder with guys like you and Mike, when you guys when you do when you do a scene, you do you do it first time like on on book and then kind of move around a little bit like how does that go when you do a scene uh well it depends i mean like so this movie like it was independent like my buddy wrote it i know a lot of the backstory it takes place in this part of philly called delca which is you're you're tampa no but i grew up my my, my whole family's from philly you're yeah you have a philly almost kind of a philly accent yeah. but you also have a baltimore so it's like you have a little bit of that. So you know that area and how, you know, Baltimore is its own world. And oh, if you really yeah. haven't been there, you don't know. So it's Philly. Delco parts. It's Philly is its own world. Yes. And so I was able to put my own stuff in it because I knew it. And so they encouraged it. The director was great. He was also a Philly head. And we would use like a term like hammers. You know what hammers are? No. Hammers are what guys people people call metal heads but we call them hammer fucking heads because they're always like this you know like hammered and so we put that in now that's like a delco term but i thought everyone knew it you know fucking hammerhead jump you know what get jumped is like (laughs) god man your philly accent just came out (laughs) it comes out yeah it comes out right he's like yo it's having a fucking couple tall boys these fucking (laughs) couple hammerheads came out they fucking jumped me took my old fucking fucking milwaukee old milwaukee they fucked me up so it's like that type of thing right so that's i'm gonna improvise with that because that's like i know the area now something like scream early in my career you know working with all the amazing people i worked with and i'm the baby on the set and the script is like ironclad amazing i just do exactly what's on that paper then, you know, because I worked with such cool people like Wes and, and Kevin Williamson, they were cool with me trying it. They're like, okay, we got it. Let's see what you got. So I was lucky. I was at a young age encouraged to try things by yeah. great people. And that kind of freed me up. So I was always like, so then I want to do a guest spot on like CSI Dakota. And I'm like, well, I'm going to improvise. And they're like, no, man, you got to stick with the story because we got to find this. And then we find the body next thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I would improvise a lot. Yeah. So it's, is it, but if it's really well written, you just, you know, you're, I'm not going to fuck with it, but they still might encourage it. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I, yeah, I, I, I remember like I, I was, I couldn't, I could, I don't know if I could improvise on an Aaron Sorkin movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, that's the, that's the goat right there. So wait, who is on your list? Who's on your list of who you'd like to work with still? that you haven't worked with? I mean, I really think this, you know, people can laugh or whatever, but I've worked with some amazing people. And I think that I would love to have being a part of like a Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. Because he loves, he loves like, you know, people that are a little off. I think I'm a little off. He loves people that improvise. Like I've heard some of the best parts of Taxi Driver, I heard Wolf of Wall Street, I hear Goodfellas, there's a lot of improvisation there. And his movies, dude, you could argue, Wolf of Wall Street, I think I've heard him, I mean, you, you could argue that it is, is an amazing comedy. Yeah. Right? 
you you could argue that Goodfellas is almost half a comedy, right? Like, yeah, right. A casino. I mean, it's the best type of comedy. And so I believe that he encourages that and he loves funny people and he wants you to do. I mean, I would, I would love to work with him. I love to work with Judd. Um, you know, I like to get my hands and, you know, be a bunch of people, just whatever I can do, you know, because it's, it's nice to just, you got to work with people that you go up to, you know what I mean? I got to work with people that, that are amazing. And then, then you become better. It's amazing that Martin Scorsese has made movies that if they turn on, no matter where I am, I just watch the whole thing. Exactly. It's insane. Yeah. It's, um, Mike Fleiss, a great guy, EP, The Bachelor. Um, I've known him forever, you know, and he said that. He said, you want to make a movie that is completely watchable. And you're right. It's like there's something about it that's so just comforting and real. You're so right, dude. You turn it on and you got to watch it. Yeah, it's comforting. It's like if I, I don't want, I, and I can't, I can't put my finger around it, but like, it's comforting. It's quotable. When you say the Goodfellas is a comedy, you're you're right. In a weird way, I've never watched it as like the horrors of what's happening. You know, it's I've always been like these characters are so rich, and and I mean Joe Joe Pesci, even Casino. Like I watched Casino right before I got into I, I was going into a bubble and I was quarantining for five days, and I ended up listening to the soundtrack from Casino. That soundtrack's so fucking good. That soundtrack, yes, yes. And, you're, and you're like, how, what? Why is it that that man can make something that you cannot turn off? Like you just go, I'm here. It's it's uh, I don't mean I don't have the answer. I just feel it's like this something. So, you almost feel like you're a fly on the wall. You know, what I mean, besides the fact it's just so good, but you know, I mean, that's the obvious answer. But it's just like you feel like. You're, you you feel like it's so real. I believe. Like sometimes when you watch a movie or a TV show, and if it's if it feels like it's fake, it's just you know we're not into it. But when it's so real, plus it's relatable. Those characters, like in Philly, we had guys like that. I mean, they were just hilarious. I mean, dude, Casino. There are some hilarious scenes, dude. Casino. Yeah. I mean, James Woods. James, James Woods, Woods, dude, is amazing. Amazing. Incredible. I, I, uh, I've watched that scene where they kill Joe Pesci with, and his brother with a baseball bat is, is one of the most, uh, it's such a hard to watch scene cause it's so real. It feels so yeah. authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that uh, wouldn't be, that wasn't the comedy part of the movie. <laughs> I was like, it's really funny. You're like, well, the baseball, I'm like, that's you're saying that's the fucked up part. That's the fucked up part where you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to do like a premiere? I think they're having some, I don't screening in Philly. Oh yeah. Well, two, I, yeah. If, 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 if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not far off, I'm pretty sure Philly's living it. Like the virus hasn't hit it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I I don't think we're gonna have a premiere, but they're probably gonna have some screening for sure. Yeah. I won't be there. I'd love to be, but yeah, I don't know what I say. It's gonna be in theaters uh, in the red states and VOD in the blue. That'll be yeah. I think the I mean, 
it's kind of good timing because everyone's still the VOD is still paying off because everyone's staying home watching movies. But there are you're right. There are a lot of places, Florida, and I can only say Philly because every single one of my cousins has not only gotten coronavirus, but didn't say it was a big deal. <laughs> my, oh, really? Oh, yeah. My all my cousins, all my boy cousins that are like party age have all gotten coronavirus. Where Where's your Philly uh, roots? Uh, Mainline, like uh, oh, Bryn Mawr, Malvern. That's good out there. Yeah, yeah. Wow, like, you really, that's, that's, I know that area very well. That's great out there. So you, you were, you were Malvern, you were, yeah, you were the main line. Yeah, we, we actually shot something the other day, uh, me and Tom with these two younger actors and the, chi- the woman there was like, I said, where are you from? She goes, oh, Philly. And I said, where? And she goes, ah, you wouldn't know it. And I said, well, try me. She's like, Radford. And I went, oh, I know Radford. Yeah. Like, uh, wait, I, she said, really? I said, my dad went to Malvern. She goes, your dad went to Malvern? I said, yeah. And she goes, my dad went to Malvern. I went crest crazy. I said, uh, my dad also went to Villanova. She goes, my w- dad went to Villanova. And I went, wait, how old's your dad? And she said, 72. I said, my dad's 72. I called my dad. I go, dad, do you know when I said her last name? He goes, you mean Dr. Tony? And I was like, I'm sitting with his daughter right here. And he goes, shut up. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then, the, and then her dad called my dad like two days later. And he's like, Al, I heard our kids were acting together. And he's like, yeah, can you believe it? It's a fucking, I always say it's small world. Like when going and living in a town like Philly and then in a town like Tampa, you don't meet a ton of us in LA. Like I, if I ever meet anyone from Tampa, I take a couple minutes to go, Hey, like I want to, I want to make sure you know that this is, this is a long journey. Like there's a young lady that works at my Starbucks that went to the same high school as my sister. And every time I see her, I want to make sure to make her, I don't want her to feel like, I'm just a typical Hollywood asshole just walking past her. I want to like take a minute to like go, how's everything going? Everything you no auditions, I guess we've been in a quarantine, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's always interesting. Who who do you think's taking the, uh, the virus less serious, Philly or Tampa? I the think what? you know the answer. The what? You, the virus. Oh. Less, <laughs> come on, dude, dude. <laughs> Tampa's got coronavirus even when there's no pandemic. No disrespect. I love it, bro. My home. I I go there every year to play that. I love that city. Tampa is, I mean, I've seen pictures. I see moons over Venus, bro. There's still no glass. You know what I'm saying? What is it? Mons Venus? Mons Venus. Mons Venus. Everyone spent their 18th birthday. Come on, man. 2000 Space Odyssey. (laughs) Yeah, man. Oh, dude, man, I I see pictures on Instagram of my friends with their parents out at dinner. Dad's turning 78 and there's no masks in the restaurant. And you're just like, and that's like, we're talking, that's four months ago before they were giving out uh, vaccines. Well, here's the thing. So it's like, you know, I don't don't want to get us in trouble because it's like, what can we say, right? But it's like, I started putting my toe in the water you know, slowly but surely. And um, this week I've like, I went out of town kind of for the first time and did a show in Gilbert, Arizona. We did an outdoor show and it was a few hundred people. And it it wasn't as, uh, Arizona wasn't as unmasked as people would think. Uh, It was more, it was more loose than LA. Uh, but people are eating inside, but they do wait outside with a mask and then they go in and the restaurant's kind of packed with no mask because <laughs> the virus is just going to wait outside until you're yeah, done eating. Yeah. And then it's because it's, it's respectful. And, 
But I mean, I went to Top Golf and uh, that was a little scary. But I mean, we were, <laughs> there was glass between us, but still, there was people getting at it. I mean, you know, eight oh fives and you know, drinking and pass. I mean, so I don't know, but I was far enough away. Yeah. So, but they're like, dude, don't be so paranoid. It's a, so I don't know. It's like LA is one way, Arizona is another way. I, I you know, it's it, you know, it's, it's good for me to see what's out there right oh yeah what? i've been back and forth i've done four tours during covid where i know um, you did you did the drive-ins though which were yeah. more that's chiller but that's it was amazing. it was it was uh everyone was out of their car kind of tailgating in the back in this in the behind their cars it was totally safe you could be as distant as you wanted if you want to stay in your car you could most people were definitely respectful and wore masks if you left their air little area they had it like squared off like this is your area don't leave this area um but it was you know it was really uh it was really interesting to see and then you'd go to places like i remember going to arizona not in i think i want to say it was just outside flagstaff i forget but it was more of a red part of arizona and i said so i made a joke about do you remember when you could dot, dot, dot? And they're like, we still do it. That virus isn't real. And they cheered. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, and it's they like. They actually said it's not real. <laughs> like, the virus isn't real. The Democrats created it. <laughs> oh, and you're dude. like, you're like, do you want to comment on it? Or, you know, keep that paycheck in that area. You're like, ah. <laughs> I was like, whatever, guys. I got it. I actually got a Trump flag given to me that night. <laughs> See, here's the problem with me is that like I don't really, I don't really have any like, I don't have any huge political views. Like I don't, I'm not. Yeah. I, I, I want everyone to be happy. I, I, whatever. I agree. And they gave me a Trump flag, and I got so excited. I was like, oh, Trump flag. Like in history, this is going to be something people you're going to pull out. And people are like, where the fuck did you get that? And so I got the Trump flag. Hold on Trump to that. Yeah, That's my going to art, be like artifact. Well, what happened is I got fucking busted. So my bus driver's black and he hated the fact that I had a Trump flag. So I put it up anywhere in the bus just to fuck with him. And so busting balls, I come home off the road and I bring the Trump flag. My daughters are very obviously socially minded. I bring the Trump flag and I put it on our mantle in our in our living room. And the girl and I'm home. The girls come home for the first time. They're like, Dad. And then they see that and they're like, What is that? And I was like, Oh, I'm just a big Trump supporter, and they got fucking livid. I'm just busting balls, right? I get drunk, Jamie. I forget it's on my mantle. I'm watching football, and I do an Instagram post just commenting on a football play, and all you see is a huge Trump flag underneath my thing, and I got destroyed in the comments. Destroyed. I knew you were a Trump supporter. You and your fucking shitbag fans, and I was like, first of all, first of all, I'm not, first of all, I was like, it's a, I'm, and then I, I had to fucking, I, I didn't even, I didn't even post anything. I just left it up. And then I commented it on two bears, one cave. I was like, anyone who's my fan knows full well that it, I don't give a fuck about any of that shit. And then secondly, a flag doesn't mean who you voted for. And especially if you're a comedian <laughs> and then cut to cut to I'm telling Segura this story, right? I'm on FaceTime and I'm like, dude, I got this fucking Trump flag and it's still on my mantle. And I cut back and right at our door, I have a red, a make America great again hat. And Segura goes, do you have a make America great again hat? And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And he's like, Bert, I'm starting to believe that you actually voted for Donald Trump. 
I go, Isla got it. We were tubing down a river. We were in Alabama. It was the only hat available. Isla bought it. (laughs) No way. I swear to God. And then you just happen to have that hat. I have that hat. It's it's still at my fucking door. (laughs) Dude, Uh, you know, in Hollywood, you can't even say anything that rhymes with the word Trump. Yeah. You can be like, yo, I had the pork rhyme. It was the rump cut. (laughs) Trump! It's like... I am sitting here in Serbia for the next indeterminate amount of time and I'm missing my family. One of the greatest things I have is my skylight frame. My wife packed one in my bag. It's sitting up in our living room and I get to see pictures that are posted to that frame that my wife and friends are taking. It makes me feel like I'm not missing out on things. This is a great gift to get your parents, your mom. I set up a skylight frame for my mom and my mom and dad. My sisters have one. We have... By the way, I, I believe in this product so much. I got one for our group of friends called the campers that we just send campers videos to. It's super easy. Uh, it literally sets up in under 60 seconds and it's, you can, it's just, it looks like a real frame and it adds a beautiful touch to your house. Ours, we have them all over our house because we share them with so many people. And uh, it's like a 10 inch touchscreen frame. You can swipe through the photos when you want. And I love it. They have 100%, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love it, they're going to offer you a full refund. And that is a guarantee. You will love it. You will love it, especially when you set it up with a bunch of your friends and families. And my parents got one. My sisters have one. Our camper friends have one. And now I have one here that's kind of connected with everyone. You can tap a heart button, let you know if you like a video. I don't know. I'm telling you, you're going to love this. Uh, right now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframes.com and enter the code BERT. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame. It's so great. You're going to love this. Literally, you just send a picture to all the frames. All the frames have it. And then you're going to... That's as easy as I can explain this product to you. Go to skylightframes.com, enter the code BERT. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. And enter the code BERT. Uh, you may not know this about me. You may not know this about me, but I am obsessed with lawn care. A happy yard makes me a happy person. Spring is right around the corner. It means it's time to get that lawn on track for you. I know, I know. Last thing anyone needs is another complicated, toxic lawn product. But Sunday isn't just another lawn care product. It's a customized lawn plan that works with nature. They take all the guesswork out, all the unwanted chemicals out, so you can grow a beautiful, natural lawn. It's better for people, pets, and the planet. Dude, I have a big lawn thing happening right now. I'm not there to be supervising it, and it's causing me anxiety. The number one thing are these bay laurel uh, cherry trees. <laughs> I'm such a fucking idiot. I care so much about these goddamn because I paid money for them, right? And I, I put it in a drip line, and then they wanted to put some chemicals in. I go, hold on. I got two dogs who are morons. Well, I got three dogs. Two of them are definite morons, and they're big dirt eaters. And I, was, I freaked out. Here's what's great. I just, you just go to GetSunday.com, put in my home address, and their free loan analysis took care of the rest. All in just seconds. Sunday uses soil and climate data to create a tailored nutrient plan so you get all the stuff your lawn needs and none of the shit it doesn't need. Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce like seaweed, iron, iron, molasses, so you can grow a better lawn and feel better about it. The best is Sunday explains exactly what you get and why everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All I had to do is attach a ready-to-use pouch to my garden hose, spray, 
loved, by the way, I love spraying a lawn. I love spraying a lawn. I like spraying a lawn better than I like watching it rain. And that is tough, right? Best of all, the stuff really works. And I promise you, when I get back, I will take a picture. And these bay laurel cherry trees are going to look fucking gangster. And the lawn's going to look gangster. My grass. I got new grass coming in. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash BirdCast. Get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. GetSunday.com slash BirdCast. Visit GetSunday.com slash BirdCast. I don't say nothing political because we should be able to talk about everything. I believe you're just, we're probably very similar. We're just down the middle. Let's look at both sides. Yeah, I, I'm a very, I, I think it's even bad to say you're a centrist these days. People go, why won't you pick a side then? And you're like, come on, man. Like, <sighs> I, I, it's, everything is so loaded that you just go, I, I don't want to, my, my goal, and I was telling this to someone the other day, my goal in comedy and, and art and everything I did, I never wanted people to feel bad. So I, I just want everyone to have a good time. I like laughing. And and sadly, some of the stuff that makes me laugh is really aggressive, right? Like, I find things funny that not everyone finds funny. Like, you can say a word that's been banned, but if it catches me sideways the right way, and it and it is have a comedic t- t- connotation, oh, you'll catch me laughing. There's a video, Segura said a word that is outlawed. It's online, and I fell out of my chair laughing at it. It just, I didn't expect the word. That's how that, that's what comedy is. I didn't expect the word. It made me laugh, right? I can't. I can't tell you, like, you can't cancel someone for laughing at something, can you? Oh, my God. I'll be fucking canceled in a heartbeat. Dude, I mean, we're not even in cancel culture anymore. We're in, like, deletion culture. <laughs> yeah. Like, erasing. They don't, they, they want to, like, I know, I, you know, I, it's like, when, remember when you could, like, make a mistake and talk about it and then learn? That's what's, that's what's weird about now. It's like, nah, if you make a mistake, you could be done. Yeah. It's yeah, I don't uh yeah, I and you know, I the I think I just go is you look at it and you go, I've seen some people that have been, you know, technically canceled and they're still working, you know? Like I, I most of them I see, you know, some guys when you do horrible stuff to people, I think that's when maybe people take a stance with their dollars. But I think for saying shit, like if you do something bad to someone, you know, then I can understand you not i can understand as a as a consumer i there's i don't want to be a part of that guy like i nothing bad up against woody allen but when i was younger i heard they dated married his daughter and i just wasn't a woody allen fan like that was just that's just me and i I didn't cancel him i just was like oh that seems gross and then i watched one of his movies i was like they're not good enough for me to overlook that so whatever and then some people love woody allen like love woody allen and and can look past that and i go okay and i could be wrong on what i estimated everything to be but I just was never a fan. I, that's how I go. If you say something fucked up, I'm I can look past that very quickly, like very quickly. You know, I can also go, oh, that was a fuck up. And even if you don't want to take responsibility for it, I can still. I, I'm I don't know. I'm very well, forgiving that way. Because you you know because you're a comedian, we're comedians, and you have to try. We try yeah. jokes, and sometimes you're going to miss the mark. A lot of times you're going to miss the mark. But that's how you find out what works. The audience is our instrument. Yeah. And it's like if we can't try it's a wrap well it's you know it's here's what i don't want is i don't want because you know 
I have a theory. The second you're being recorded, you've already lost. The second anyone's, mm-hmm. if you notice the phone's out, you've already lost because they're not going to edit it where you look like even keeled. So the second you, uh, that's, I, I've been obsessed with that lately. But the thing I don't want is that people record your shows and then someone fucks your show up and starts jumping in and you, and then you come back and you're like, Hey, go fuck yourself. God didn't make your mouth for talking, honey. And everyone's like, Whoa. And then you're like, ah, I didn't mean it. I, I was just trying something, you know, but all you see is this woman go, Hey. And then you're like, God didn't make your mouth for talking, honey. You suck cock. And then everyone's like, Jesus Christ. And that's where I go. I, I would love those fucking Yoder boxes. Spell does where everyone's phone goes into a bag. Fuck. Mm. Yes. Do you, how you you can't control that, bro? At the shows, mm-hmm. so yeah. you, so do you? You don't have that that thing yet where you can do that. You could do that at your shows, can't you? I, I could, I could theoretically, but it's just too much of a pain in the ass. And 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 I don't mind. I think, look, anytime anyone's gonna pull anything I said out and try to cancel it for me, I can defend it with a thought process of a joke. Any everything I've always said, my only intention is to make that idea funny. And I've said some horrible things that I wish I hadn't said, but I was trying to make something funny. And you, you can't, I don't think there's one comedy fan in the world that's gonna stand by handcuffing a comedian so that they can't attempt to be funny, you know? And that I think that's where that's where I land on that, all that fucking- Yeah. I mean, we, if we can't, <laughs> we're like the last where we can try stuff, you know? And that's like, the, the camera thing, I. I kind of just made peace with it. You know, it's yeah. like, I feel like it's Napster. Everything you said, I agree with, but it's like, how are we going to stop it? So it's just like, it, we, there are just so many of them. They're always pointing them out. Oh, I record all my shows. I record all my shows. So oh, that it, so that way you have a, so, a yeah, lot. So, like, oh, I'll just play okay. the whole show. I'll play the whole show. And by the way, I've had jokes. I had a joke. I have a, I'm very proud of this joke. I have a joke about Confederate statues that, uh, that I, 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 ha- I had the idea and I couldn't figure it out, right? I couldn't figure out the, I couldn't figure out the angle, but I, I got the idea. And so I started playing with it on stage. First place I told it was in Phoenix, Arizona, and it came out not even subtly racist. It came out like, and I was like, that's not what I meant. Like in my head, I was like, I meant for that to be better. And then I did another one and I was like, ah, okay, that's getting better. It's not as bad, but I know that it's good. I know this is good. And then one day it clicks and you got it. And, and now this joke is tethered to another part of my set where when it does show up, it murders. And you're like, you're like, and then you have jokes. Like I had a joke. I had a joke. I know you've done wild and out, right? Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with wild and out. I was obsessed with wild and out for whatever reason. And this is before Nick Cannon got, they tried to cancel Nick Cannon. The old Wild and Out or the new Wild and Out? I think new one. The, the old one? But maybe like, the, no, the one with Nick like Cannon. The, oh, okay. And so okay. I, it was just recently I said, you know, the jo- the j- premise was, I don't do it anymore, but I was like, um, you know, with what's going on in society and these cultural shifts and and what's going on with black people, I think it's I think it's our job as as a white person to just try to pay as much attention and listen as much as possible. For my part, I know I've been watching a lot of Wild and Out. And I was like, I was like, and the one thing I've learned from Wild and Out is it's best when the white guy doesn't talk at all. <laughs> and 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 it was it was working. It was a good segue into something. And then Nick Cannon gets canceled. And and all of a sudden, 
I don't know it. I tell that joke and everyone's like, oh, and I'm like, wait, what happened? And now a joke that you told before is in different contexts because of someone else's behavior. And you're like, and then you start sweating. You're like, God damn it. How did like, because I was messing around with wild and out jokes because I was watching so much of it. And then I was like, and now he's canceled. Now someone's got a videotape of me telling a joke and just plugs it in. And I can't go. That was four days ago. He just got canceled. Like, so I did. You, you do. I just stopped telling the joke. I totally. Um, That's a tame joke. Yeah. Well, yeah, I had, there was more to it, Jamie. There was definitely more. Uh, to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you don't want to get canceled for telling the joke. I'm not so going to tell it twice, Jamie. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm only we have to edit this part of the pod. Uh, but that's the beauty hey. of comedy is some people just saw that joke and will never see it again. <laughs> That's why no one's getting rid of live shows, man. I'm so excited to get back on stage. Dude, I have a question. I know, dude. It's so true. It's like that one experience is like that moment. You know what NFTs are? I'm you know obsessed with that. Well, so what do, you, what, yeah. what do you know about NFTs? Well, the non-fungible tokens, it's, it's, it's basically, I don't know what the fungible part is, but the blockchain is obviously supposed to be the best thing that's happening right now, which I agree with. So it's like if I bought a car off of you and you only owned it, and they saw the blockchain receipt, and it was Bert Kreischer, and he had it from 06 to now. You couldn't lie about it, right? So that's supposed to be with everything. If you know, bought a house or whatever, crockpot. And so I guess with NFTs, you know, that dude Beeble blew up. Who I I discovered through uh, Joe Rogan's uh, pod. I would or his Insta from Joe's Insta. He would post Beeble. And then he just sold, you know, he just sold his art. Uh, they put a bunch of, it's hard. I don't even really explain it, but original digital pieces that he did, like the, the first time digitals and they were blockchains, meaning like this is the first one. And then they, some guy bought it for like 67,000 and then he just sold it again last week to Christie's for 69 million. How, what, so how does that, it's so that bizarre. person, that person, I don't know enough of 69 million. million. How do they, how do they make million. their money back? Dude, you got me. But the thing about the blockchain is it's like, so if you have, I don't know enough about it, but with like Bitcoin, it shows you the actual owner. That's what keeps Bitcoin. Supposedly it's value that you can see that this is, it has a, it's a ledger, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you know how they say you go to the bank and you put in $10 and they lend it nine dimes on it. So they line, they lend 90 against your 10 and it's not, the money's not there. Like that's what banks do. And so they're always lending money they don't have. Well, apparently with blockchain and this stuff, the actual thing is the thing. So it's actually there, if that makes sense. So it's, it's finite. To... It's not It's not this imaginary where yeah. they can keep building and building and building and everything technically uses its value. We just pretend not to notice. It's... Exactly. So the, the NFT, he had all, I don't know enough about it, but he basically had this thing that was certified by the blockchain and it's just a piece of art and it was a bunch of amazing, beautiful digital pieces. Christie sold it. For sixty nine million, now you're asking how the guy who bought is going to get his money back. I mean, I don't know. That's what, I guess what, that's what art is, right? I guess, yeah. I, it's funny. I, I wonder. Um, it's incredible. 
if, I think it's going to be the future hugely. I, I, I just started reading about it. I had something like, uh, is, is it like, it is a bad example, but is it like um, when Wu-Tang won that, made that one album and just sold yes. the one album? Yes. But the difference is that was like a physical copy of it, or maybe it was on a, a chip and that was it. It was supposed to be no other copy. So that's exactly what it is. It's like a digital pair of only one oh, Air Jordan so, 2. So, 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 okay. So hypothetically speaking, saying say that um say that you taped your next special and you made one copy i made one copy and then i actually there's only one copy so once i give it to that person i no longer have that copy either and it says bert kreischer blockchain originated here boom you they got it from you bert kreischer the originator of it so that makes it much more intrinsically valuable that's interesting i've got something i want to nft nft <laughs> I know, I know what it is. The first special <laughs> you said you didn't want to put out. I'm the NFT, my first special. <laughs> Let someone just chop it up any way they want, and put it online. Just <laughs> wait, I, bro, I have a question for you. I'm sorry, but because I know you're interviewing me, but why are you now interested in movies? You said more and more. Uh, because uh. You want to start? Are you going to start acting? I think, I think so. Yeah, I think you so. You should, dude. Yeah. You should. Are you I, getting some? You know, you're you getting some interest, and you're liking it. Yeah, and I and I and I think I'm really fascinated by the. Um, I, I I was so married to just being in podcasting and stand up and doing theater tours and and that just that that I, and 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 then I started. Uh, really watching movies going like instead of sitting there going like i don't fucking like that guy and this seems like a weak premise i was like i wonder if i could do that like i I feel like i I feel like i'm pretty funny and i'm a good i'm a really good storyteller i should be able to tell him i should be able to make a movie right and then uh and i and i and i and i also think that's a way to branch out to to expand your stand-up audience is you make a great movie, people find it, and then they're like, what the fuck is this? And you're like, and then you can do arenas, maybe. Who knows? Dude, yes. You could You could definitely do it. You have your own stories. You're an amazing storyteller, dude. You could tell a story for 14 minutes and have us all, like, on the edge of our seat. You just have to do that for, you know, an hour and a half. That's what a yeah. movie is. Yeah. And it's like your own idea. So if it's coming from you, it's going to be unique. And it's like, you got it. I mean, put your toe in everything. Why not? I, I got I got really focused at the beginning of this pandemic. And I was like, I have this thing up on my treadmill, this little sign right here that says, what would you, five five years from now, what are you going to wish you did today? And I see it every day. And when I, when I got into the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, all right, well, I don't know how long this is going to last, but like, what is what is something I would be really regret doing, not having having done at the beginning of this pandemic, like like starting something and then finishing it at the end of this pandemic. And one of the things was like, I should definitely take the time because I I have time now to make a movie, to like write a movie, sell a movie, take a movie out, pitch a movie, and so um and so yeah, and so I'm I'm really fascinated. I'm and I think for the first time I'm. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm at this place where I'm, I'm really interested in learning about shit. Like I'm really excited. Like I, I, 
I don't know what happened to me, but like I got into like history really heavily and I started listening to a lot of history podcasts and I was like, and you know, like when we talk about good fellas and that warm blanket feeling when you turn it on, you're like, all right, I'm not going anywhere. Let's just order pizza. And that's been happening with me with a lot of shit, but more importantly, like taking a look at movies that I liked and then trying to figure out why I liked them. Like, uh, like silly movies. Like, I'm not saying like, it doesn't need to be like dances with wolves, but like, uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. You know, like, why did I like that? Like, what was it about that movie that I liked? I mean, really honestly, Malibu's most wanted was the first movie that I, that I caught on accident. Like I was sitting in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was hungover. I was on the road and I, I knew the movie was made and I knew you guys were in it. I just didn't know. I didn't know if it was, it was good. I just, I didn't see it in the movie theaters and it came on and, and I was crying laughing and I was like, okay, now I'm really interested. Like if I, if I'm really into the business of laughter and I, I love, I love laughing. There's nothing better than when you're watching a movie and you're crying laughing. I mean, honestly, I can tell you the hardest I've laughed. I'll, I'll just give you two examples. One is when I say Mally, you say boo, had me crying, laughing, crying. Cause <laughs> it just, and then the other one was from fucking uh, 21 jump street when he goes, and it's just, and I don't, I go, I, I want to learn how to do that where he goes, he goes, maybe we should take a look at our profiles. And he's like, no, we don't need to look at our profiles. And then it cuts to them in the principal's office. And he's like, all right, which one of you is Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, and he's like, oh, that's funny. I didn't pit you for the athlete. <laughs> I could not stop fucking laughing. <laughs> and then, like, someone like Jonah Hill, I think Jonah Hill is so talented. Like, I watch him do stuff, and you go, what is that? Like, what is that? What, where do those, I like, where does those decisions come from? Like, mm. you know, I, and so for the first time, I'm, I'm interested in something other than just podcasting and, and stand up. And I think also there's a little bit of a shift. And I think you must know this is that it's interesting in a time where everyone's evaluating everything you say to really take some time to decide what you're going to say for an hour and 20 minutes and say, I want to make a movie and I'm going to choose my words for this movie. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, this will be there forever, much like a special, but you know, we didn't put much thought in our early specials, but like and so I don't know. I'm really fascinated by it. I'm really, I wish Hollywood was more open. So like right now we're, we could go and take general meetings and go into people's offices mm -hmm. and, but we'll see. Dude, I, I appreciate that, man. It's really uh, some kind words. I love that you watched Malibu hungover. It's a good way to watch it. Dude. <laughs> Guys, you threw it in New Mexico. In New Mexico. <laughs> I cried laughing. I called, I, I remember called, Thank I called you. Nick and I was like, this movie's fucking hilarious. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. And I was like, Oh, and you know, you look at some of those ones and no one, no one's ever gonna laugh. Like specials are one thing. Everyone remembers a special, but man, people never forget a movie. Like they, they're well, fucking quotable. I mean, they scream, like scream is like when you do the breakdown of a horror movie, when you do that breakdown, what a fucking memorable moment. No one will ever forget that. Like that, what a memorable, memorable fucking stamp on culture, on and cinema. Like that is that movie. Scream is like a movie I watched with my daughters, the, like recently, and they were like, "Oh my god, this is fucking amazing." When Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are stabbing each other in the kitchen, it's so mm -hmm. funny. It's such a great comedy moment. Oh man, you went too deep, man. Yeah, like, yeah, like, it's. And I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. I mean, there's you've been you've been a part of some amazing fucking 
movies, some legit amazing movies. And I'll tell you, man, I cannot wait to watch Last Call. I cannot wait to watch it. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that, man. Con congratulations, man. I'm really excited for you. I'm really excited for it. I could podcast with you anytime if you ever have anything to promote. And when things open up, we just got a new podcast studio. When things open up and everyone's more comfortable, I'd love to have you over there and do a live podcast. Dude, I love, I'd love to just really sit and chop it up and go Fuck. for like, when we did our last podcast it was like three and a half hours. Oh, that I was the, it. that was the funniest. <laughs> That's the fucking, that was the, that was the best, man. That was the best. We had so much fun. You've made me laugh a lot, Jamie. You've made me laugh a great deal. And I'm, I love laughter. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's all I seek out. And so it's an honor to do a podcast with you and a pleasure and an honor to call you my friend. So thank you, brother. Dude, back at you, dude. You make me laugh all the time. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, man. All right, bro. Thanks, bro. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.